morning, everyone. Thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live. I'm JJ Walsh, and today I'm talking with Daniel Moore uh, in Nagano. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Hi, good morning everyone thanks for joining today we are talking about active travel rural travel adventure travel with daniel moore thank you so much for joining daniel thanks for having me glad to be here so i see that you're in your new house in nagano i saw your video giving the tour of your house how are you liking it yeah love it yeah i um i was looking for a long time for a place to, you know, kind of settle. And um, I also wanted to start doing Airbnb stuff while I was out uh, traveling. So kind of um, had a Fudosan friend, a real estate agent who said, you know, if you ever see something that might fit these parameters, you know, let me know. And um, he found this place and it's, it's really cool. It's, near the monkeys and near ski resorts and near tennis courts, which I, um, I play pickleball on. So kind of fit all the things that I was looking for. That's awesome. So you yeah. grew up in Japan. Did you grow up in that area? Uh, yeah, like an hour, hour and a half from here. I, um, my parents or my dad had a business here and that was in Tokyo, but when the Olympics happened, um, they kind of wanted to move to the countryside and he would just go in once a week to Tokyo. And we were able to live in Ueda in another part of Nagano. So uh, yeah, so I grew up partly in Tokyo and then partly in, in Nagano Prefecture as well. And where did this love for the great outdoors come from? Did you grow up like going on camping trips and stuff with your family? Actually, no. I mean, my, my parents actually hate camping. <laughs> they, I mean, we, we did do a lot of outdoor stuff, to be fair. We, we did hikes and my dad was kind of a part owner in a ski lodge in the Alps and so we, we did a lot of outdoor things, snowboarding and hiking mainly, which is actually what I still continue to do mostly. But um, yeah, I think it was more recent that I, I kind of fell in love with the outdoors of Japan. I started working for Walk Japan and um, just, yeah, like walk, walking 10 days at a time through Japan's rural you know mountains and things and i just kind of fell in love with um the nature here and you know it's, it's pretty unique i think that you can the, the food and the culture and at the end of the long day you get in an onsen and uh yeah i just love that whole the whole package that japan has when did you start uh, active travel japan how did that start well um, yeah, it's been a couple years and, um, basically, you know, I stopped working for Walk Japan and started freelancing for a few other companies, um, which I still continue to do. And, you know, there's, there were a few clients who said, you know, can we just go directly through you? And so I was like, well, okay, I guess, I guess I should have 
um, you know, my own tours and guiding and things like that. So just, um, yeah, started to look into what that would involve. And so I started working with a travel agency here in Japan and, um, yeah, I really wanted to focus on sort of places that tourists don't normally go to, uh, but places that I really love and, um, I guess places that people would, wouldn't find on their own, but because I speak Japanese and I live in this area and I explore a lot, I'm kind of able to show them this whole new side away from the tourist destinations, so to speak. And not that those are bad, but if I can help them sort of discover these new places, I think they see a whole different side of Japan and, and have a much better experience too. Or a different experience, at least. Uh, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk about some of the tours or the plans that you offer uh, on your website. Uh, let's start with the Nagano Day Hike that you offer. Yeah. Yeah. So the plan, I haven't actually put together all the pieces quite yet because I need to register my my house as a uh, accommodation. So that's. That's in the works right now. I'm, I'm going through the process of actually registering my house as a ryokan. Um, but once that's done, the idea was some of my clients said to me, you know, we, like, we like ryokans, but, you know, having the kaiseki every day and the food's kind of the same and it's like so much food and, you know, it's nice, but we wouldn't mind just sort of, you know, staying in an Airbnb kind of place and then having our stuff in one place all the time and then just doing little side trips from there. So that's kind of where I, I got that idea from. And I said, you know, why don't, yeah, why don't I just do this here? Um, and I can do a summer version and a winter version, which I have the snowshoeing version up on the website too. Um, but yeah, I think it just gives a different side, a different experience to people. Uh, mostly people who come to Japan stay in hotels and ryokans the entire time, whereas this would be more of like a staying in a house, a real Japanese home. Um, I guess I'm not, I'm not really a real Japanese person, but, um, but it, it feels a little bit more like staying in a house, we cook meals together, and um, and that means we can do it a little bit cheaper as well. So if people are more price sensitive, they can they can do that, and then just sort of explore one area, really go in deep. I mean, mo most people just kind of scratch the surface of each area, and then they keep going on. Whereas if we stay in one area, we can really experience, you know a lot of the outdoors and um, culture. We can go to all the onsens in the area. And so I thought, you know, I, I really love this area and I want to share this place. So um, hoping that other people feel the same, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if people uh, sign up. Yeah. Uh, something that I, I really like about your tours that you're offering is you're asking people to commit for a week. You've got seven mm. nights accommodation. And this is something I think is so important for 
rural area more sustainable travel um, because yeah. you really it takes you a while to get in and out to get settled Definitely. and then to do stuff so you really need to plan for a week yeah yeah no that's true I mean I, I see that a lot here I, I'm near the snow monkeys uh, in sort of northern Nagano and what happens a lot here is that people will do day trips either from Nagano City or from Hakuba or from Nozawa or even from Tokyo. They'll do a day trip to the snow monkeys, see it, and then go back on the Shinkansen and stay in Tokyo. And, you know, you're, it helps a little bit, but really staying in that area gives you a better idea of the place, but it also helps the local economy a lot more. So, you know, I, I really actually it's on my website too that I really like to support small family run inns um, partly because I just like those kind of places better uh, the food is home cooked and you get like this tiny little onsen and um, it's just a bit warmer the the staff usually are I mean it's family run so that, that's their whole livelihood um, but it also just helps the local economy a lot more. So I, I try to focus on those kind of places as much as possible. Yeah. In the series, we talked to Tyler Lynch, who runs Kamese Ryokan, which I, I yeah, believe Yeah, I was with is, him yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. We've, we've also had other people in Nagano. It's just such a great area of Japan, and it's somewhere mm. you definitely should spend more time taking your time, seeing the sights, but also yeah. just enjoying walks out in nature. And I think post-COVID, mm. going out into the outdoors and enjoying walks and hikes and stuff, this is really going to be the way forward for at least the next couple of years, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, it's not crowded. There's lots of open air. Um, you know, even public transportation, <laughs> you're not, you're not, you know, really close together to anyone else. And there's tons of outdoor activities to do. So I think for a while, you know, the with Corona world, people are going to want to be socially distanced and not too close to each other. And so I think places like this are, are, going to be popular i hope yeah how well let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about pickleball because you are yeah. also a professional is it professional pickleball player and yeah. you're very you're very enthusiastic about developing pickleball in japan can you tell us a bit about it yeah yeah so pickleball is it's an american well it started in the u.s about 50 years ago, and um, it was kind of a small sport for a long time, and then in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, it's really exploded in the States. They say there's about 3 million players in the U.S. right now, and um, yeah, so there's a professional circuit now, and I, I played on that for a few years, and I've won, you know, the U.S national tournament a few times and um 
things like that. But I really wanted to live in Japan. And so it was sort of my pickleball professional career or living in Japan. And I chose living in Japan, but I decided to bring pickleball over here um, about, I guess, five years ago now. Um, And I, I just thought it was a really good sport for Japan and for Asia in general. I mean, you, you play in a badminton court, so every gym in Japan already has pickleball courts lined on them, essentially, because every gym has badminton courts. Um, but it's also, it, it suits older people very well because the court's a lot smaller, the ball is slower than badminton or tennis, and um, it's just easier to, to move on a pickleball court. So as Japan ages, um, I think it's, it's going to be really, you know, a good way to get older people out moving and, and doing something. And then the last part is that it's, it's really social. So with, with sports like badminton or tennis, you, show, you sort of um, show up with your group of four players, you play with them for a couple hours, and then you leave and you never meet anyone else. Whereas with pickleball, how it normally works is that everybody just shows up at a certain time and you keep changing partners. You play one game and then you switch and you play with somebody else. And so you get to meet a lot of people and play with a lot of people. And the level doesn't matter as much as as other racket sports. So I, I just think in a lot of ways, it's, it's a really good sport for Japan. Um, you know, people sometimes in Japan sort of stay in their own little social group. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great way to meet people and stay active and anybody can play. We have, we have three generations playing together on the same court sometimes grandparents and their grandkids and the kids. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really cool thing to be a part of and, um, it's growing, but growing slowly in Japan. I think we're up to about maybe 15 different clubs, uh, around the country with probably somewhere between a thousand and 1500 players. So, slowly getting into different avenues and areas, but I think it just takes some time. So, yeah, it, it's a, yeah. it's kind of a new, new concept. Um, but you've it got is. a pickle, yeah. pickleball YouTube channel in Japanese and it looks like you're yeah. trying to introduce the sport in Japan. How has it been received, uh, by the people you've introduced it to? Uh, pickleball. Yeah. I mean, people, people love it. Um, you know, there's, there's some really diehard fans around Japan right now that, that have their own clubs and they invite their friends and family. And so it's, it's been this really organic growth. And that's kind of how I, I thought that's how it was going to be from the beginning. Cause I, I can't go around traveling the whole country all the time teaching. And um, it has to be, you know, local people who are really passionate about it that spread it. So I've sort of focused on trying to develop those people, the head person, and then they can go out and spread it to their 
communities. But um, yeah, there's some really, really enthusiastic people. In fact, three friends are coming up to my house today, and we're doing a little mini gashuku, a little uh, pickleball camp at my house. And that's actually part of the other reason why I bought this place is I want I want to use it as a place to train Japanese pickleball players, and they can go out and train. I think it's great. Uh, when I yeah. when I lived in Kyushu, I was a jet in Oita, and uh, they often oh, played really? soft tennis, soft yeah, tennis, yeah, yeah. badminton, uh, regular yeah. tennis, and on the same yeah. courts. So if you're using oh, yeah, those yeah, yeah. same courts, and it can be used for a variety of sport, and pickleball looks like is it just like a racquetball uh, paddle, um, and then and then the ball is different. It's you don't need it, too much equipment. Yeah, you don't need that much equipment. I mean, it is a pickleball specific paddle, so it's um, it's not strings. So it's it's like a like a bigger version of a ping pong paddle, um, and then the ball is this plastic ball with holes in it. So it's it's really light. Um, so it doesn't it, it goes it, you can hit it fast, but it's not nearly as fast as tennis or anything. Um, so yeah, but that's pretty much all the equipment you need. I mean, you can just lower. A badminton net and use that, or you can use the tennis net, um, and then just shoes. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty easy sport to get into in a lot of ways. And um, I think the main difference is you know tennis, or even probably soft tennis or badminton. You need to take lessons, and you need to spend a few months before you can actually play a game. Um, and it's, and it's really hard for people who haven't played in a long time to sort of just jump in a game, um, with people who have been doing it for a long time. But in pickleball, you know, we, we teach people the rules. We hit for about 30 minutes and then we say, go have fun. You can, you can play pickleball now. And people actually do. I mean, they can jump in and play a game and, and sort of experience that competition from day one so i think that's a huge strength of the sport and yeah. um and why people like of, it so much yeah that's awesome and in terms of being yeah. a, a travel guide or adventure guide you could incorporate mm -hmm. a game of pickleball for fun on your off day or recovery day yeah. and still keep your body loose right yeah 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 i mean i've i've had people request that before <laughs> they want to you know, they've heard that I play pickleball and they don't know what it's about. So they want to go, go see it or, you know, something like that. So um, we haven't actually done it yet because of COVID, but uh, I think at some point we will. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, we I, had Linda. Yeah. Linda joined us from Periscope. Thanks, Linda. She says pickleball is addicting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> somebody who knows pickleball. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, actually, what, the last thing I had didn't really mention was that um, my brother and I actually run a pickleball travel business as well. So we that's kind of a totally separate thing that I do. But 
we take people around the world to play pickleball um, and it's called pickleball trips and we we organize tours to japan and thailand and europe and some domestically in the u.s and mexico and we um we teach them we do sightseeing and cultural activities and then we also play with local players and then go out to dinner with them and so it's back to the whole, you know, it's still active travel. It's just a different side of that and um, taking people to places that they probably wouldn't go otherwise. And then that sort of koksai koryu, I guess, the international exchange that people really like. Um, they get to meet real, you know, Japanese people or Thai people or wherever that tour is. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my other business that I do is called pickleball yeah. trips. Yeah, that's great. I think it's it's great to as a as a guide, it's great to get people active doing things, um, not just yeah. standing and talking at them, right? Like yeah. to get them active doing stuff and talking, and then you have a, such a much more natural connection. And of course, you can still tell them stuff about the area. You can still guide right. them, but on a on yeah. a very different kind of philosophical way. Um, I've right. done I've done some workshops for guides in Japan, Japanese people mm -hmm. who are trained guides, certified guides, yeah. um, and they want to be guides with the international people. But a big hurdle is getting them to make that connection personally. Yeah, not yeah. not talking down from the expert level to the 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 people doing the tour but actually asking yeah. questions connecting to them on a totally. personal level right yeah i think i i've noticed too i mean that can be a big difference between what japanese people want and what international tourists want i mean yes the information and like knowing interesting things about japan that's that is important but I also find that, you know, most people forget 90% of what you're saying <laughs> by the time the tour is finished anyway. I mean, they, you know, they might remember a few things in particular that really stood out to them. But, you know, historical dates and names of you know, whatever, daimyo or whatever, they're not going to remember that kind of stuff, right? But they will remember the friendship and how the guide treated them and um, maybe some of the conversations you had. So I, I do think that that's a lot more important um, than, you know, I have to say this thing at this place. And, and, and I, I think, you know, Japanese guides can totally do that. Like you were saying, they just have to make that mindset switch. It's not, you know, Japanese clients are sort of more katai and they want, you know, these things, but international is more, you know, let's just be friends and we'll have a nice trip together around Japan and um, you don't need as much distance, I guess, between you and the client. It's just, you know, going on this trip together with them. So. Yeah, for sure. 
and uh, it's a, yeah. it's also a very case by case thing, right? Like you you might have people who really want to know all the dates and all the history and everything, and and so you tell them, you know, and you introduce that to them, and then you have other people yeah. who have been around Japan, and how many times do I meet travelers going around Japan who say, I feel really lonely in Japan. Like mm. I I feel like I haven't really talked to anybody. Really,、mm. like only people、yeah. working for me or treating me like a customer, and they、yeah. really crave that. Especially we're in Hiroshima. By the time they're here, they're craving、yeah. like real interaction, right? Totally, yeah. I think, I mean, that's you know the first part of what you said is is the challenge, but it's the really interesting part of of being a guide is that. Every person is different, and what they're looking for is different. And so, your job as a guide is to find out what that is, and then try to, you know, try to match that and be able to provide that service. So, you know, if somebody's interested in, I don't know, baseball, then I, you know, I try to like talk about Japanese baseball with them and what, you know, what's what's the difference and. You know, recommend a book about、uh, whatever it is. It's it's trying to find that need and then, you know,、um, adjusting to to meet that. And then, yeah, the second part of what you said. Yes, I think a lot of people are lonely in Japan, and a big part of that is the language barrier. I mean, I think a lot of Japanese people would want to talk to them too, but. They just can't, or they're too shy, or whatever it is. So, as a guide, I feel like the the maybe the biggest thing that I can provide is I'm a bridge or a window between these two cultures. And people who wouldn't have been able to talk otherwise, I can I can allow them to have a conversation with with each other because I can translate for them and I can sort of. Provide context of you know why is this person <laughs> saying this or what's the what's the reason this is happening or so I I do feel like you know people travel FIT without a guide to Japan and that's totally fine but、um, I feel like with a guide you you can have a much more deep.、Um, Experience and and experience a lot of things that you wouldn't otherwise,、um, because it, it, you just get this deeper level of a, a tour, and you know obviously that comes with a higher cost, but、yeah. um, you know, so yeah, so there's there's just different different people and different.、Yeah. Types of and, travel, but and like and like you said before, it's not it's not just translation. Like to take、no. in information about your guests. Oh, your guests they like baseball. Well, then when you introduce them to locals, if you know the local also likes baseball, that's definitely something、yeah. you're going to mention.、Um, so you're、definitely. catering the tour to specific likes and dislikes of of different people. And and that's the way a guide knowing the local knowledge, not just being able to translate, but you can give so much more added value for sure. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just the locations that you can choose, but you know the types of 
people you meet and the types of experiences the the guests have you know you can you can cater that and sure. the nice thing for what i you know with active travel japan and to an extent pickleball trips most of my clients are repeat customers so you really start to get to know what they're looking for and then cater those tours to specifically what they want um and they might not even know about this place or this location or this activity but you know as the guide if i know the types of things that they like then i can better recommend you know the the places that they would want to go to um, even if we, they don't know about those For places, sure, so. for sure. We have a great yeah. question. Elizabeth okay. Ann has joined. Uh, she says, great interactions are memorable. And another great episode. Thanks, Elizabeth Ann. She uh, runs Arigato Food Tours. Um, also, John Linvers has joined. He says, hi, Daniel. I'm hoping to embark on a long hike this year or next with some friends to walk the Tokaido Road from Tokyo to Kyoto. Ever done it? Any spots along the way that you think are cool? Um, wow, so Tokaido. Um, I haven't actually done a Tokaido tour, but I know Walk Japan does one. And I think like the sections I've walked are like Hakone, there's a, there's a post station in Hakone and there's good hiking around there. Um, it might be technically off the Tokaido a little bit, but the area around Mount Fuji is beautiful and there's tons of trails around Mount Fuji. Um, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the Tokaido is all concrete and, you know, that's sort of where the development um, industrial development happened, and so the original sort of towns along the way are um, not there anymore. But um, yeah, but there's lots of museums and historical places. Atami is beautiful, a little onsen resort town. So yeah, I'm sure you'll find lots of interesting things along the way. Let's, let's um, I would also, I would also, yeah, the tours that I would also you recommend offer. the Nakasendo, yeah. though, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, or maybe maybe you go from Tokyo to Kyoto on the Tokaido, and then you come back to Tokyo on the Nakasendo, because the Nakasendo does have a lot more of its original towns and villages intact, and um, through the mountains, and you know, when you get. I think a little bit more of the authentic experience or what it, what it would have been like back in the day when people can were you, traveling back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us about some of the hikes that you offer on Active Japan, um, like the mountain ranges, the hiking paths? Um, I've got loads sure. of pictures from your website I'll put up while you talk. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, so the tour that I'm really excited about lately is, is the Highland Hike, and I just sort of named it that uh, because it, it feels like the Scottish Highlands to me, um, the area. 
but it's it's kind of a combination of a few different places, um, but sort of high elevation areas in Nagano. Um, so one is around, it's called Takamine, um, Yunomaru, and, and then the Yasugatake, Utsukushigahara area. Sorry, that's, those are really long names in Japanese for if people don't speak Japanese, but um, especially this Yasugatake and Utsukushigahara area, um, it, it's this like big central plain in the middle of Nagano Prefecture. And it's, it's above, mostly above the tree line. And so the, it's just like these wide open bamboo and grassland fields. And you get views 360, but one side is the Northern Alps. Another side is like Mount Asama. And then you, you just, you can just like see mountains 360 degrees around. Um, and then you get into Yasugatake, and we stay at a mountain hut, but it has this onsen that's just, it's one of the coolest onsens I've been to. It's, it's actually the highest rotenburo uh, outdoor onsen in Japan. Um, it's over 2,000 meters, and yeah, it's just, just this sort of wild, you know, un uninhabited area of Japan and that's that's pretty rare um, for Japan but a lot of it it's been a natural park or a, I don't know if it's uh, yeah Yasugatake is a national park so it's, it's been a national park for a long time and so there just hasn't really been much human development there I guess um, and yeah so I just really like that area and not a lot of international tourists that I've seen have, have gone there yet. Um, I mean, the hiking is on the more difficult side, I would say. Um, but if, if someone's really active and wants to see, you know, places that not that many other tourists go, then I highly recommend um, that Yatsugatake, Utsukushigahara area. Uh, since you um, mentioned the Nakasendo, do you want to talk about the Nakasendo eight-night tour that you offer? Sure. Um, yeah, I think my Nakasendo tour that I put is actually shorter. I think it's four nights. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, um, the Nakasendo, you know, I, I have to mention Walk Japan, and, you know, they trained me on that and they were instrumental in sort of developing that area and, and making it popular um but yeah it's it's just a really cool historical tour um it, it it used to be the the road that daimyo would use traveling back and forth from edo or tokyo to kyoto and they're required by the shogun to once a year visit Edo and pay their respects and that sort of thing. But um, like I said, because it was sort of way up in the mountains and not that important of an area, it it was just ignored. And 
therefore it stayed in its original state a lot better than the Tokaido did. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really nice. You can just walk, you know, a lot of times you just walk from your inn in the morning and you, all you have to do for that day is walk to the next inn and you have your dinner and you have your bath and you go to sleep. So you, you sort of get into this pilgrim pilgrimage mentality and you're walking a long ways every day and eating really good food, having an onsen. So it, it just feels really healthy. And um, I feel like it, it sort of clears your mind and you're just very relaxed because, you know, all you're doing is just walking to the next end and, um, and, and yeah, and it provides, a lot of time for good conversation and um, sort of exploring these little Japanese villages and hamlets and countryside along the way. So I, I feel like you see a lot and get to know a lot about what life is like in, um, in the Japanese countryside. Flexible is it for these kinds of tours if people have allergies or they're gluten-free or they're vegan, um, are you able to find places that can accommodate um, those kinds of things? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, um, especially in the Nakasemo, the ends are really flexible because they know the drill. <laughs> um, and the Nakasendo actually does have a huge number of international tourists walking on it now. Um, so that, you know, that comes with its own positives and negatives, but the positive is that the inns really do a good job of catering to dietary needs. Um, I think, yeah, even, even like vegan, you know, they know not to use, or vegetarian, they know not to use dashi, or at least fish stock dashi, they'll use kombu or, um, shiitake so i think I, I think i've had every possible different dietary restriction i mean um from kosher to you know gluten-free to vegan to various combinations of those um and they've they've been really good about accommodating and and it's not just like you know, rice with some raw vegetables, <laughs> you know, they actually do cook something else in place of every single dish that, um, that the normal, normal meal comes with. So you don't feel like you're missing out on too much by, by having those dietary restrictions. That's always really yeah, annoying but, as a vegan or vegetarian when you're at the same yeah. dinner table with everybody and they get like a steak or a huge fish right, and, and you're right. given boiled vegetables. You know, it's so nice yeah. to see when places Every make an meal. effort for a main yeah. dish. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I would add that it does depend on the area. I mean, some of the inns that aren't quite as used to having international guests have a harder time with it and they, they don't always know exactly what that means. So I do find that, you know, if it's like, like dashi is the biggest thing 
that or for gluten-free soy sauce they'll they'll often have soy sauce in something so you know if if it's a real medical need or allergy then i really make sure that you know those ends know that um this, they can't have any fish stock or soy sauce or whatever but you know sometimes if it's if people are more, you know, gluten-free sort of, you know, people are like, oh, I just want to reduce my gluten intake, then soy sauce isn't as big of a deal, and it's and you get a much wider range of food too. So, um, I think being clear about how strict you are with the ends, and or if you're with a tour company, telling them, you know, I'm really, really strict, and if I have gluten, I'm gonna have a medical emergency, then they take it much more seriously too. Um, whereas if it's a dislike, it's not quite as big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you say dislike, but when people come from other countries and they're vegan, it's not just a ski kidai thing. It's not just dislike. Yeah, yeah. It's it's part of their lifestyle, right? It's very important. Uh, speaking totally. of the difficulties with vegan. Uh, if anybody is interested, we have a great workshop this coming Sunday on Seeking Sustainability Live Workshop with Tyler Lynch from your mm. nearby Kamise Ryokan. Their chef is going to yeah. show how to make vegan kaiseki. So if you're interested in that, please have a look. Oh, yeah. He, um, was, he was telling me about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Really excited. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's talk about your Northern Alps tour because it, it looks just the pictures just look amazing now compared to the Nakasendo tour we just talked about you had a level seven this would be a yeah. level nine so this is a little yeah. bit harder is it yeah definitely um and first of all I should say you know it's it's on my custom tour itinerary both of those and so basically you know, I'm, I'm trying to have a very small number of group tours. And for those, the itinerary set and people don't know each other and they just show up and, and join the tour. So that's very inflexible. I mean, that, you know, there's other clients on the tour too. So you just have to kind of go with what the dates are and the itinerary is. But um, mostly what I'm trying to do is custom tours. And so... For that, you know, you come with your own group of friends or family, um, four, to, four is the minimum and 10 is the maximum. And um, the, the itinerary is suggested because that's what sort of works well and I've researched, but um, if you want a lower hiking level or if you want a higher hiking level or longer or shorter tour or whatever it is, you know, we we make a custom tour for you for that. So um, the suggested level is 9 out of 10 because there are a lot of difficult but really beautiful hikes in the Northern Alps. But again, that can be adjusted um, according to people's needs. But um, but yes, the Northern Alps, it's an unbelievable area. I mean, I just the mountains are so stunning and they're just sheer and um, a lot of variety and it's yeah it's absolutely one of my favorite areas of Japan um, 
and I was, you know, being stuck in Japan all year last year, I was doing a lot of hikes in the Northern Alps, trying to develop these tours. And, um, yeah, came up with what I think is, you know, some really nice areas that people are going to enjoy and um, good variety and not too many mountain hut stays. <laughs> I sort of, you know, mountain huts are okay, but uh, sort of one night at a time is my <laughs> my uh, thinking on, on mountain huts. So, um, but yeah, the Northern Alps is, highly, highly recommended, um, especially if you like the outdoors or hiking or just seeing something totally different in Japan. Um, you'll, you know, most people sort of think of Japan as like Shinjuku or <laughs> Kyoto, all urban, sprawl, um, but I think this will give you a totally different idea of, of what uh, Japan is, and just that there is real wilderness in Japan still, and um, just yeah, really, really beautiful. Looks, it yeah. just looks amazing. All the photos with the like the green lake, all the greenery mm. around the lake on the top, all the mountain views. You've got some stunning. I guess it's sunrise photos. So you get up really early and you go out for a walk and you have that light on the mountains ahead of you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, beautiful. Yeah, that was that was at a mountain hut. It's hard to get the sunset and the sunrise views without staying on a mountain hut. So that's a benefit of, of being in a mountain hut. But um, yeah, it's there's there really a lot of variety and a lot of just beautiful places. So that's why I wanted to put together a tour there. That's great. And you yeah. you mentioned before that you're doing collaborations with travel agents. Um, yeah. This, this is a hurdle a lot of guides have, right, because of the rules. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, I see I have a postman at my house. <laughs> I might have to go answer the door. But, um, yeah, so it, it is hard. The Japanese restrictions on travel agencies you know you can't sell tour packages um, unless you have a travel white agency license um, so I, I actually work for a travel agent in Japan and they have a travel agency sorry can I just <laughs> respond mm -hmm. to this real quick sorry sorry about go that go ahead go ahead this is the beauty of live streaming right uh, Elizabeth, thank you for your comments. Elizabeth, you say really interested in the vegan kaiseki. That's wonderful. Um, I will put the link below, but if you look on my Inbound Ambassador Facebook page, because you're on Facebook, uh, you should be able to find it. Um, but I will link to you below so you can find that. Yeah, we've got a great one this Sunday for Valentine's. So it's a perfect day to learn how to make beautiful Japanese food for your loved one, right? That. Oh, there you are. Sorry Good. about that. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah, so actually that was, um, I'm trying to get my house registered <laughs> for Airbnb and you have to have all these like fire exit, you know, extinguishers and all these things. So um, that was the guy, <laughs> but I'm going <laughs> to meet with him later. 
Um, yeah, so the travel agency thing, yeah, it's a big challenge because if you're going to launch a travel agency yourself and sell packages for people coming to Japan, you have to like put in like uh, seven, what is it? Nana Hyakuman. So that's like $70,000. Uh, you have to put in this fund and then um, that just stays in there as long as you're running your travel agency. So, um, yeah, so that's a real challenge, but yeah, I just, I worked for this travel agency and all the tours, the active travel Japan tours I run go through them. Um, so then I'm able to, you know, it's, it's through Yadoroku, this, this tour agency, but essentially I can create, different tour packages and, and sell them. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I've decided to do it until eventually maybe I'll, you know, get together $70,000 and create my own. But, um, for the, for the time being, it works pretty well to, to work with a Japanese travel agency. It's, so. it's a high hurdle for a lot of entrepreneurs trying to get started in the travel industry. Um, but it's it good if you've, if you've got a good partner. Uh, let's, let's talk about the foodie hot spring and craft tours. I really like yeah. that idea. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've taken some people on a couple of these, one in Nagano and one in Aomori. And, um, yeah, they, they basically said to me, you know, we want, we want good food, we want nice ryokans with onsen. We want, uh, we like Japanese traditional crafts. So we want to do something craft related every day. And we want to do just sort of like easy, short, one hour hikes every day. So for Aomori, you know, I think that's the example itinerary I have on the website. But yeah, we just did, did all those things. And there's, there's so much with like with the craft stuff, there's just so much in every prefecture that you can do. I mean, just in Aomori, I think we made, we made lacquer chopsticks. We made a wooden bowl. We made this like book, traditional um, stitched bookmark. We made a pot holder. We made something else. We, we picked our own apples. Um, I think we made jam. So, oh, and we made like this moss ball thing <laughs> um, that people actually took back to Singapore with them. So just in one prefecture, you know, that's, we did all these different things and people then get like a physical memento of that trip that they can take home. And it's a very educational experience for them. They get to learn about these crafts and some history and why this area developed this art form. And um, so, yeah, that's, and then they just really liked different onsen, these kind of mountain, way up in the mountains onsen that tourists really hardly ever went to. I think we only saw Japanese people there the whole time. Um, 
and then yeah and then they just like interesting food so um i kind of put that on there as as an example you know if if people have something really specific that they are into or that they want to learn about or do in japan and that's that's totally something that we can we can do and that we can put together so yeah sounds great uh really fun and if you're into a little bit less active japan uh that's a nice option plus it's not only the nagano area you've also got a island hopping tour in okinawa which looks really fun yeah yeah i mean my idea is to mostly focus on nagano or central japan i'm calling it but also you know just some a few other areas that i really like and think that people would enjoy so i was actually just in okinawa last week and i was you know using my trip there as an excuse <laughs> to, um or, or i guess using research tour research as an excuse just to go to okinawa but um yeah i think okinawa is really fascinating too um the mainland is nice but i kind of i like the Bito, the other islands and just exploring those and the really kind of unique culture that each island has um and then because they have a unique culture and climate they also have unique activities so yeah i thought you know doing a little island hopping tour of okinawa would be interesting so a little bit of the mainland and then zamami you can take a ferry to it's about an hour from the mainland to go in there and then flying down to ishigaki and iriomote um is is on the other part of the agenda just because I think that's a really fascinating, beautiful place as well. And um, Iriomote especially is just kind of, it feels like the end of the earth. Um, You can actually see Taiwan from the island and they have this endangered species of cat that only lives on Iriomote Island. Um, And I think the whole population of the island is like 2,000 people and a lot of them are pineapple farmers or <laughs> yokan owners. So um, just, yeah, really interesting cultural places. And I mean, Okinawa already doesn't feel exactly like Japan, but as you get into these Ishigaki and Iriomose kind of areas, it really feels like a distinct, um, unique place, but lots of culture and um, cool activities, hiking and kayaking and snorkeling and, um, yeah, basically I'm just creating tours to places that I really enjoy going to, that's, so that's that I, that I get to it. go there, <laughs> that I get to go there every year. So that's it's awesome. like, feels like I'm yeah. not working because I'm, I'm just traveling to places that I enjoy. Yeah, but, plus you're but I feel creating, like my creating clients, great yeah. connections with locals, too, so that you can Definitely, yeah, yeah. make great tours, right? Yeah, and I love, I love going back to the same places because you learn something new each time, but you also get to see 
you know, friends that are hotel owners and activity owners, you know, they, they become friends. And, um, I think the clients really like to see that too. They, you know, they like to see that you really love the places that you're going to. Um, and then that sort of kind of draws them in to this, you know, oh, this is a really cool place. The guide, even the guide is excited about going to this place. Even though he's been there 50 times, he still finds something interesting and something to explore in this place. Um, for me, it's, you know, the snow monkeys. I've been like 50 times, <laughs> maybe maybe more like 70 or 80 times. <laughs> I used to do some day guiding there, but... Um, yeah, even then there's still things that you find or discover or, you know, new, the monkeys are doing this. Like I've never seen that before. And, um, I think you have to really love the place to, to be able to have that perspective, but, um, also just that curiosity, you know, try to keep discovering something new and there's always something to learn. Um, That's no matter awesome. how many times you've gone to a place, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a board guide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want you don't want a tape recorder who's just you know saying saying the things no. because he's supposed to. Reading the so. script over and over. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in. I was in. What made me think of that was I was in Okinawa the other day and I was diving in. Um, off of Naha and we saw whales actually and it, it wasn't really even the whaling whale season but um yeah we we saw these whales and it was so cool and the guide the dive instructor was the most excited of us all she was like screaming like ah, there's whales and um and we could hear him while we were diving under the water and she's like listen so um yeah i just kind of thought about that again like it's it's really cool um and you really need to love the places you're going to to be an effective guide yeah. Um, and to, because to that love, totally transfers to the to client. love exploring yourself too, right? To mm -hmm. to be curious, yeah. to have that curiosity, I think is really key. Um, you're doing so many things which are helping sustainability, sustainable travel. Uh, you're taking people to rural areas. You're remodeling an old house. Um, you're using local guides and going to local places. Is there any other? like sustainability things that you have in mind? Like, do you ask people to reuse bottles or carry their own utensils or anything like that? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, um, we definitely try to use public transportation as much as possible. Um, I think, you know, private you look at like the emissions from private vehicles versus public transportation and it's like i don't know a fraction of the emissions so i think that's one thing um other than that i mean yeah i mean we we don't 
obviously like we tell people to bring their own bottles of course and um some of my clients even like bring their own chopsticks uh which i think is really cool i mean most westerners actually don't wouldn't ever think of that or they probably don't even own their own chopsticks but um some of some of the singaporeans actually bring their own which you know i think is cool and i've i've started doing some when i travel myself um but yeah i mean besides that i not anything really specifically i mean i i think um supporting local gyokans is kind of my main thing um i think as rural japan sort of depopulates the the main problem is the lack of work i i don't think it's necessarily that people don't want to live in the countryside but they just don't have any job options so i think supporting these local businesses um even big hotels in the countryside don't really support the local economy as well so um like family owned businesses that actually you know keep the money in these local areas is is kind of my main thing and what i like that is that is huge that's really huge Mm. i think especially now with tourism slowing down so much I think a lot yeah. of people are really struggling to because there yeah. isn't the influx of tourism. So if right. you can find ways to help people stay longer, which yeah. keeps more money in the local areas, that's massive. So thank you Definitely. for everything you're doing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's an interesting time for sure. Hopefully, you know, with the local or sorry, with the people depopulating from the countryside i mean there is you know the travel is way down right now but then people are able to actually work from anywhere more often so hopefully uh people keep working remotely and they work from places like this but then once tourism is back then there's more jobs as well so i think um yeah providing opportunities in in the countryside is It's a challenge, but I think Japanese people are aware of it too and trying to try to get people to live in these kind of places and Well, hang in there a little bit longer yeah. and uh, yeah, hopefully thanks. by yeah. by this time next year uh, we can start seeing tourists come back and we can see safe travel and definitely yep. the kinds of tours that you're offering out in the countryside I think these are the go-to ones to start booking for next year. So, thank you so Absolutely, much for everything yeah. you're doing. Crossing my fingers. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you for yeah, joining thanks. today. That's been awesome. Yeah, thanks for the time. Awesome. Appreciate thank it. Thank you everybody so. for all your great comments and questions today. Uh we don't have any more talks this week, but we have that great workshop on Sunday. So make sure you check that out uh, to make vegan Japanese traditional food. Um, we're offering that on Valentine's Day this Sunday. And then we have more talks next week. So have a great weekend, everyone. Take care. See you later. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye.